Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight we have, we have the opportunity of listening to your questions and dealing with what you're interested in. And uh, you can start uh, calling us whenever you're in the mood. And uh, our number here is 718-683-5858. We have a few topics we're going to be discussing. You may have to wait a minute or two, but uh, we'll get through to you. If you have any questions relating to Kashrus, 718-683-5858, or you can start texting us at 347-927-8398. That's 347-927-8398. And I decided that um, I'd like anyone who wants to to text into us now. You can also email me at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. But you could text us here now live at the studio, 347-927-8398. Any comments, questions that you have, any suggestions for topics or for guests that you'd like to hear on the show. So uh, feel free to start using those avenues. But we're going to discuss a few topics before we get to some of our callers. And uh, I'd like to also, at the beginning of the show, so I'd like to mention a few things that people come, they go, so at least let you hear it now. We have a special running uh, for Kashrus Magazine, which costs $25 a year, and we're giving away a free book for a one-year subscription. In the magazine, we give it away for five years. But for you, listening, OJ, listening audience, we'll give it away for one year. That's a $25 payment. You get one year of Kashrus Magazine, and you also get the book On the Wings of a Child's Prayer, which is one of the stories that appeared in Kashrus Magazine, and another 52, uh, 51 stories, a total of 52 stories from the pages of Kashrus Magazine over the last 35 years. It's a great book. It's 200 pages. You don't like it, give it to someone else. Somebody already started telling me, send it to this person. Say, no problem. We'll send it anywhere you want in the United States of America. So if you want... Call us at the uh, office number. You can jot it down, or you can call right now and leave a message, 718-336-8544, 718-336-8544, or you can email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. And uh, just tell us you want to subscribe and you want to get the book. You have to say you want to get the book, otherwise you wouldn't have gotten it. So uh, that's, a, that's a real tremendous deal. The book itself costs $23, including the mailing. So it's, a tw- it's almost half price, $25 for the book and for a year subscription to the magazine. It includes the Kosher Supervision Guide, which is now up to, I believe, 1,351 Kosher Symbols Worldwide. That's the new number we just came up with, I believe, 1351. And the Kosher Travel Guide, which is to 307 cities across the United States of America. And that's probably the most popular book we've ever put out this particular year. It was grabbed up, and there's almost nothing left. Okay, anyway, uh, before, any, before further ado, we're going to go. We have quality? Okay. So we're going to go on to uh, um, our first topic. And uh, I'd like to discuss with you something that affected me very seriously this past week, and that is with uh, we, sh- we show a video of Vigda Miller's Atzal every week. So if you're interested in that, you also contact us at 718-336-8544 or the email conscious at AOL.com, and we'll put you in touch with that. The program meets at... Two hours and 15 minutes after Lichtbenchen. So whenever you light the, time, the light, candle lighting time, plus two hours and 15 minutes, every single that's about a quarter to 10 this week. And uh, we, we show half of the video. Ramil used to give 100, uh, an hour and a half video, uh, an hour and a half sheer, and uh, the, the end of it was questions. And we do it in two sessions. So every two weeks we get a new we do a no, new video, and we've been going through this for about 14 years. So there's, I mean, there's not, <laughs> we had to repeat the, uh, some of the videos, but but there's over 105 videos I believe that we have. So it's uh, it's really a wonderful opportunity. People love it. And the same people are coming for I don't know maybe 10 or 15 years. If you'd like to join us, you can do that too. Uh, it's for men only, and it's only 45 minutes. And it's every month of Shabbos. 
And this week, Miller talked about it, and it really was interesting because this past week's Parsha was, was a, a, which deals with a, a tremendous amount of kashras. It was about the birds and the animals and the fish and the blood and all the halachas, almost every single, not every single, but a tremendous amount of material dedicated all to kashras. So I thought it would be nice to talk about a few of the topics. But what was interesting is when Miller last Moti Shabbos, I can't tell you why, but it came out that way, he was talking about the purpose of man in, in this world, etc., one of those uh, regular topics of his. And he said something that I found absolutely stunning. And I don't think I ever heard it directly from him in that way. And it made a, a big, uh, you know, clop in my mind. It, it, it hit very, very hard. I think it was a beautiful line, and I'm going to try to share it with you. Here's basically what he said, but I'll, I'll never be able to repeat it word for word because I, as fast as I write and I start adjusting it, so I, I can't tell you this is word for word. But anyway, he was talking about how Shem created the world uh, and how uh, he created it. It says, Asher Boro Elokim La'asos. Hashem created the world La'asos, to do. The purpose of our being in this world is to do, to accomplish, to get somewhere, to do something in our, with our lives, not just sit around on a, on a log. We're supposed to really get out there and do something. That's what man is for. There's a famous Chazal, which everybody knows. It, the Pasuk says, Hayom la'asosan, today to do. And the Chazals explain, Hayom la'asosan umachar lekabel sechorin. In this world, it's a time to do, to accomplish, to achieve. And in the next world, it's a time to get the reward, not in this world. And, the, and, and to accomplish cannot be done in the next world. Each one has a different purpose to accomplish and to receive the reward. The purpose of, uh, for us in this world is to, is to accomplish something. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, at Tchias HaMesim, can't accomplish anything anymore. The opportunity is over. He'll never have it again. Since this is our goal, Hashem found it necessary to create obstacles. This is what he's talking about, the Eight Sahara. To create obstacles, opportunities to overcome these op- obstacles. He put man in this world and, uh, and, and made man in the most efficient way. He made man in order to acquire perfection. That's the goal of life, to acquire perfection in our existence on this world. And to achieve this goal, he made man in an efficient way to do that. Man's goal is perfection in this lifetime. He's a machine that is made for that goal. So if everything goes well, then we utilize our purpose in this world. We're going to achieve perfection. I mean, that's the ultimate possibility. And yet, says Rav Miller, Rav Igda Miller, a part in this machine could be misused. And he gave an, what I consider to be a very interesting thing. I hope you, you, you'll be impressed with it, and I hope you remember it. He said he discussed eating. Everybody knows about that, right? Okay, eating, he said, is a glorious system to appreciate Hashem's kindness to us. We, you know, we think... You eat and you enjoy, etc. Yes, you're supposed to eat and you're supposed to enjoy. But the, the ultimate goal is to praise Hashem. The ultimate reason why we eat and why Hashem made a world of eating is for us to appreciate Him. In other words, the food is there to appreciate the food because He gave it to us. You know, he, he wanted there to be a pleasurable experience. We're not, we're not just like a car that you fill up when it needs, when it's low in gas, you fill it up. We have to, we, in our eating experience, we, we want that pleasurable feeling. Eating is all enjoyment. But what the purpose is, Bavur Shemoi Hagadol. The purpose is, it's eating is in order for Shemoi Hagadol, for his great name. When you eat, you should think, I love you, Hashem. And th- that's our purpose. 
you, you, you can't say that eating is a, is a bad inclination. Appetite is the gauge for, the, to, for us to refuel. And when we eat enough, we stop. It's a miracle. It's not an accident. And yet, in eating, there is the possibility of the Yetzirah. There is the possibility of misusing it. And for example, he explained, Erev Yom Kippur, you had a nice big meal, Erev Yom Kippur, and you go to shul, and you come back, and you walk through the kitchen to get to something, wherever you're going, whatever, and you see the refrigerator. Now, you could be feel hungry. Even Yom Kippur night, a person might feel hungry. The Yetzirah could get him to want to do something. He may not eat, but that feeling may be there. We've been on the day of Yom Kippur. You're hungry because it's usher. The eight Sahara is there because it's usher. The desire to eat itself is good, but it can turn out not to be good for us. The instincts can be harmful if they're not controlled. It's a, desires are excellent, but you have to use it in the right way at the right time. And that's that was the piece from Miller. I hope you got something out of the way I feel personally about this concept of eating is Bavor Shemoy HaGadol. You know, we, we, we sort of, we ate, okay, bench. No, 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 no. We're supposed to eat in order to bench. But Miller once said, I think this is a totally classic line, and if you never heard it, it, it should blow your mind. He said, the food makes the bracha go down well. Eating, in other words, is, to, is just an order for the bracha to be effective, for us to feel it. You're not going to feel it if you're just refueling the gas in the pump. But if you're going through the experience, the ambiance, and the pleasures, the, the fragrance, the texture, the taste, the color, the feel of the food, if all that's there, then you have that experience. People see a watermelon. Oh, they're ready to eat it. People, that, 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 the, the saliva starts flowing. You feel it. That is what Hashem wants, but bavur shemoy hagadol, to make the bracha go down well. So that's the one little piece from Rav Miller. If anybody wants to join us, you call us, 718-336-8544, and we'll give you the times for the different weeks. And otherwise, you can do it yourself, two and a quarter hours after lifting, after, after candle lighting, and the location, your call us, will be able to tell you where to go. So now... Um, we have a bunch of texts that came in. I know I'm going, to try to, I'm going to try to get to them shortly. But I want to share with you something else. And anybody can call in any time, 718-683-5858. I see there's a whole bunch here. We'll go through them. Uh, okay. There was a Shiloh that I had this week. And there's a couple of Shilohs, interesting Shilohs I had this week. But one of them I thought was very, very interesting. And it reminded me of a famous Shiloh that Rav Zim and Zatzal my Rebbe, 30 years, taught us, which is a classic, and I think everybody in their houses can run across this occasionally. The case that I'm going to tell you now may be a little more bizarre, and it's not going to happen very often, but it does happen, it did happen, and uh, the Shiloh is a very interesting Shiloh. And we'll, we'll derive a lot of information from it. The question was, this woman was washing her dishes after Shabbos, and the pots and pans and everything. And, of course, Shabbos, she only cooks either parva or fleshiks, whatever. And in the, in the fleshika sink, she's washed dishes, and then she sees that the pot there is a dairy pot. Said, what in the world is a dairy pot doing there? And then she realizes that what must have happened was that she got it confused with a fleshika pot. Because the fleshika pot and the milchika pot, they look different, but the handle was broken on, the, on one of them, and now this handle broke or something, and it, therefore it was, it, 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 she got it mixed up, and she, she used it for making liver. And, of course, the pot that she had was milchiks, but it hadn't been used in 24 hours. The problem was she put onions in and fried the onions first, and after she fried the onions, then she added the liver. And the problem is that they knew that a dava harif, something that's sharp, can draw out from a pot or a utensil 
even though it has not been used for 24 hours, the flavor that it emits will be a positive flavor. That's the power of a dover harif, of a sharp, object, sharp food. What determines what a sharp food is? That's a whole simon in Shulchan Aruch. It's very interesting. We're not going to be able to go through it right now. It's in simon Sadivov. But as far as we're concerned, uh, onions are considered to be in the Harif family. So the question is, how should we deal with this, with this, uh, with this uh, liver? As far as the pot goes, it's going to go further because if the pot, if the liver is not kosher, if it's basar and cholov, meat and milk, of course, it's really chicken maybe, or I'm not sure it was, if it was chicken liver, but if it is chicken liver, so it's not really by basar and cholov, but still in all, the pot has to be kosher. That, that we took, that was given, given. We knew the pot was going to be kosher because she's pretty sure that this is what happened. The problem was the liver itself because should we look at this, these onions as getting the flavor, a positive flavor from the pot, or should we not? That was the question. And it's very involved, and I'm not going to go into it today. I'm going to tell you one thing that I do know, and I'm going to tell you what I told the person, and uh, you can look it up yourself elsewhere. And I looked in a few sperm to find out how everybody deals with it. It's an interesting question, and I thought, I, I like Rabbi Force very well, and I know he usually deals with something very, very straightforward. And I was wondering what, how he dealt with it. And he said, clearly, it's a Shail and Eskarov. So I thought that was very telling. Although he did send us to the Orach HaShulchan, and I looked up the Orach HaShulchan. I could read it to you, but I, I'm not that much time here right now. So maybe we'll read it later, but I don't, I don't know if we're going to get to it. But, but the Orach HaShulchan basically says that, again, it's a question... And uh, there may be reasons to be makel, but uh, he, he also sends you looking around. And it seems that almost everybody avoids this. And the only ones I saw that decided decided it was usher, the exact question that this gentleman asked. What I told him is to ask a certain rov, who was a, 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 both of us have the same rov, and I told him to ask the rov, and uh, he's going to do that. So I don't know the answer yet. Maybe when I find that, I'll let you know. But it doesn't make much difference. You can ask your own rub. In other words, it's a real, real, real Shiloh. But the thing that isn't the real, real Shiloh that we just mentioned, but my Rebbe taught it, and it comes up in your house much more often than this question we had over here with the liver. Let's say I have an onion, and I cut it with a fleshican knife. And then I take the onion, and mistakenly, I didn't know it was cut with the fleshican knife, and I put it into a milchika pan that was used today for milk. It has real milk in it. Now, no milk now, but the pot, pot pan, the frying pan, had real milk in it before, within 24 hours. Hot. So n- now I have a, what is, the, what is the halacha of those onions? And let's say I use the onions together with uh, eggs. So do the eggs become not kosher. So there's a safer called the Maril Diskin. I mean, I was a man, Maril Diskin. And uh, he has a safer, which is his psukim. And my Rebbe Zatzal used to always refer to that. And he said a very interesting thing. He says it's mutter. If there'll be butter there, it wouldn't be mutter. But if it won't be butter, it'll be mutter. And he, he gave the following reason, which is very, very interesting. He said it's a sveik sveika, a double doubt. What's a double doubt? Number one, onions, as I mentioned earlier, are in the family of harif, of sharpness. But they're not the same as a radish, and they're not the same as chiltis, which is the classic case of dava harif. It's, it's a, in the family of sharp, but it's not as sharp as the others. And it's a question mark. Is it called harif for these laws, or is it not called harif for these laws? So that's one suffix because it's onion as opposed to, let's say, a radish would be worse. And then the other thing is, what does it have in there? It has whatever fleshix was in the knife. Okay? It can't get more fleshix than the knife. Now, there's a halacha that if two things that are, let's say, metal, that are washed together, let's say you put uh, silverware into a hot pot of uh, water to, to, let's say, to kosher it. 
or whatever. And then there was, uh, it, it was Ben Yomo. He, both were used today. The, the pot was Flashix and the, and the, and the uh, knife was Milchix, or vice versa. And they both absorbed today. And you put him into hot water. You put them in either together into another one, let's say a, a fork of this and a spoon of that, or you put the, the pot is all milchiks and the, and the, fleshik, the knife is fleshiks, and you put it into the hot boiling water. And they're sharing the water together. So there's a split. Rav Yosef Karo, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, says that if they're clean, no problem. The Ramor says, Ramosh Isilis, that if, even if they're clean, they're both treif. And that's, if they're both ben yomo, both being used today, they're both treif, and that's based on a toisvus, and I'm not going to go into that today. That's a very interesting toisvus, but I think we're just simple enough to understand that. So that, what does it mean? boils down to this. There's not more in the onion than was in that knife. And if that knife, which would come in contact with this frying pan, the fleshika knife, would be washed together with this frying pan. It's a machloikas, machava and ramor. And there's a big machloikas about it, not just those two people. And therefore it's called pluxida vusa, and, and it's considered to be a suffix in halacha. And therefore, in, with that suffix, and with the onion itself being a suffix, it's called sveik sveika, and ram, 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 the maril disk in this makel. And therefore, if you cut an onion with a fleshika knife and used it in cooking eggs in a milchik, a frying pan, ben yomo, bidyeved, you could eat it. It just is, is of this, of this, uh, if there's milchik of margarine or butter in there, that's different. But if you put milk in there, that's different. But if you just happen to put them into the frying pan, and even though you cut it with a fleshik and knife, the halacha is, it's mutter. Now we got callers. Okay, go ahead. You're on Kashmir on the air. Can we help you? Go ahead, please. Hello? A little louder. Yeah, go ahead. Hello? Yeah, yes, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yes. How do you check brown rice? Okay. First, we're in a little high, and she's in a little... Okay. Uh, you're checking brown rice. Personally, I don't have expertise in it. The, the, my feeling is that the little things you're going to see on the rice are not necessarily anything inside the rice. In other words, whatever discoloration it is, I don't believe that those are worms inside, inside, the, uh, inside the rice. Uh, you see sometimes like a little black dot or whatever it is on there. You could take a magnifying glass, which, I mean, we use a loop, which is much stronger, which is, we call it you know, 30, 40 times the size. That's we, we sell them, in the, if you want, if you're interested in getting one, you can get, get it yourself. But if, that's called a loop. And you could look at it, and you'll be able to see, and I don't think you'll see what looks like an insect inside there, and I don't believe that is an insect. But if it, you know, uh, but, but uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen things come out of the brown rice itself. What we do find, and this is very important, in rice, whether it's brown or white, or anything that's noodles, whatever it is, all these things that are stored, you can get live and dead bugs in the bag. And it's amazing sometimes, you know, but they're there. And they'll crawl around or they're not living anymore. And therefore, all you have to do with all these things is to just take and put it into a white paper plate or something like that, and just sort of sweep it around and make sure you get, a, get rid of all the little dust, and then just visually see if there's anything walking around, or, uh, you know, then you, you see the, you'll see it with your naked eye. I don't think you'll find anything in the cooking after that. You can find it, and sometimes you'll find the, you cook, uh, let's say, barley, then you might have them trapped inside a barley. You might, they may be in the barley, because they, they, sometimes you'll find, but I think it's really usually in the bag, and they usually, uh, you check the bag. Uh, if you if you can check the bag, fine. If you don't can't check the bag, just check the rice or the barley or whatever that you're using. Uh-huh. There's no Indian at checking rice, is there? Is there an Indian? I would I would just for the big for the alive or a bug that you'd see with a naked eye. I don't believe that rice has inside it uh, insects. If I'm wrong, I'd, be, I'd like to learn that. But I, that's my understanding. Uh-huh. Okay. 
Thank you very thank, much. Thank you very much for calling us. We have another quote. Okay, you can reach us on the phone, on the phone now. I'm more than willing to hear your uh, questions. Seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. Again, seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. Or you can text us at three four seven nine two seven eight three nine eight. Before we go on, I just want to say a few words about our sponsor, which is Glotmart, conveniently located at twelve o five Avenue M, and Glotmart. You know, uh, you can, when you think about Glotmart, think about price, service, convenience, and quality. Whether you shop for a few items or for a full wagon load, you can save plenty of money by shopping at Glotmart. At Glotmart, you'll save time by using their valet parking service. Just pull into Glotmart from the 12th Street at East 12th Street entrance. They'll park the car and have it ready for you to load up with all the special items that you've purchased in the store. And at Glockmart, the quality of meats is A1, with kosher certification from both the Star K and the Vatakasha Flatbush, with base Yosef meats and with expert Nikor. At Glockmart, you're getting quality kashras. Some of the items that they have on sale right now, as I'm talking, till through tomorrow, Norman's Greek yogurt, regular or light, all varieties, 99 cents. Good price. I'm known as Eight slice regular pizza, seven thirty nine. Lieber's rice cakes, ninety nine cents. Geffen whole hearts of palm, one ninety nine. Dug and breaded tilapia, three ninety nine a pound. And starting on Wednesday, you can get family packed beef stew at seven forty nine, lamb shanks at seven ninety nine, and family packed ground beef neck and skirt at seven forty nine. Pineapples starting on Wednesday are going to be 199. The red grapes and the green grapes 169 a pound, and the Idaho potatoes two two five pound bags for three dollars. So those are the, some of the specials you can get in Glotmart this week. And uh, at Glotmart is at 1205 1205 Avenue M. Meeting your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dove in Glotmart, tell them you heard about Glotmart on Cashers on the Air over J-Root Radio. I don't think you're going to see him this week because I think he's away, but he's going to be back soon. Okay, we've got a caller. Go ahead, please. Yvonne Koshchus on the air. Can we help you? Hi. Yes, just a quick question about the onions that you were mentioning before. Uh, if you cut an onion with a flaschix knife, are you allowed to use it? Do you have to use it only for flaschix? Yes. You cut it with a flesh knife, even if the flesh knife was not used in 24 hours. But I'm going to say one thing that you must learn. And this is when you ask questions. If you don't know this, you're wasting a lot of your money and time and effort. You have to know what Ben Yomo is, which means we're using the 24 hours. Using 24 hours means hot or spicy, whatever, but not just you use it to stir something and it's cold. It always means hot or as I said, harif, so sharp thing. But that, if you didn't use it with, uh, with meat uh, that's hot straight off the fire, if it was sitting there for 10 minutes and it's warm, that's not going to make the, the knife meaty. And a lot of our knives in our houses are not really milchiks and fleshiks. You know, I mean, I'm married a bunch of years. A lot of people, they haven't been married that long, and a lot of times they bought new silverware, and really it never even became milchiks or fleshiks yet. Because in order to do that, it has to be used hot with the real meat or with real meat, milk. Now, a lot of times people say, this is my milchika knife. Yes, I use it for the milchika meals. I put butter on my bread. I cut the cheese on the plate. But that doesn't make it milchiks. It's only going to become milchiks if you cut uh, a, 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 a hot pizza while it's in the oven. That's going to make it milchiks. But if the pizzas are sitting out and you bought a pizza in the store and it's still warm, that's not going to make your knife milchiks, even though you cut a pizza. So a lot of times we, we really should make sure that we're, it really is a milchik or a fleshik knife or spoon or fork or, uh, or pot before we say this is fleshik, this is milchiks. But yes, once you cut with a fleshik knife that was ever really fleshiks, you cut an onion, then the halacha is you can only use that with fleshiks, correct? Okay, another caller. Go ahead. You're on the air. Go ahead. You're Hello. unconscious on the air. Go ahead, please. Hello? Yes, you're on the air. Yes. I want to ask you, there's a certain company that makes a frozen corn on the cob, a real Heimish Heckscher. I want to know if you're allowed to use it. Should I mention the name? No. Don't mention the name. We, you know, our position is, at the present time, 
that we don't recommend corn on the cob. That's that's the position that you know that it was explained to me and, and that I that I understand uh, from the people that I've spoken. It's not just one person; it's a bunch of people that I've spoken to in the industry. If you speak to somebody else who tells you differently, it has not a real good Hamish action. I shouldn't. Uh... I, I didn't. I said. I. I, said, mm-hmm. I don't want to comment on it because mm-hmm. let me. Mm-hmm. But let me explain something. Let me explain something to you. Everything is possible. I have an article that I wrote for this current magazine, the Kosher's magazine. It's coming out in September, and I talk about this question of kosher communication, which it bothers me very much because the Kosher's agency is giving out two pieces of information that are contradictory with each other. They're saying on the one hand, don't do this. And then they themselves are putting out the same product that they tell you you can't do. Mm-hmm. So if, it's, if it can't be done, how could they do it? Oh, well, our, our people are trained. One second. Can it be done? It can't be done. So th- this, is a very, this has been an issue for many, many years. It gives the, a lot of kosher mm-hmm. consumers ba- uh, bad feelings about kosher mm-hmm. agencies that they're sort of uh, living on two sides of the street. So I, 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 I heartily recommend that you... Uh, d- discuss it with somebody else who you're close with, a rub, etc., who could guide you better. You know, a lot of times people think that the bottom don't know anything about kashras, mm-hmm. and it's true they're not kashras professionals in general, but mm-hmm. uh, but they have to the same questions you do, and they and they really can find out the answers to their satisfaction. I had a, a mm-hmm. young man ask me a question the other day, and I said, "No, you should ask Rabbi so and so. He knows you, and he he looks into things." He, he looks at it thoroughly, and let him guide you. I don't care what the man comes, what the rabbi comes up with, because I feel that that rabbi is a responsible rov. And if he comes out this mm-hmm. makel, fine. If he comes out lechuma, fine. But that's what it means to go to a rov, a seilach rov. So I would say, and, and if you want to, you speak to a rov. Okay, thank you very much. You're certainly welcome. Okay. Okay, we ha- we have some texting in here and we would like to get more calls 718-683-5858 you want to reach us on the phone now live 718-683-5858 and I'll go answer some of the questions uh, that were texted in somebody was was telling me about a certain Rebbitson who was uh, who was checking a large plate of white rice. Well, you know, I could tell you that uh, in my house also they check rice. But what we're looking for basically is what I told you. Now, if you see something and you have a concern, as I said, take out a loop and look at it. But in general, it's just the real live bugs or dead bugs that we're looking for. I don't believe that in rice... There are things that are, you know, real bugs. Yes, there are real bugs in beans, that's for sure, uh, chickpeas, and uh, lima beans, big, big, the big beans very often have bugs in them. The barley, there's a concerns a lot of times with bugs in that. But you have to check what you have there. It, you know, it, 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 the little dots on the noodles, the little dots and things are not necessarily bugs. A lot of times we see little black dots on things, and they're nothing. So you have to experiment or speak to someone who's more familiar with it. But in general, to be nervous about that, I wouldn't say so. Okay, another caller. Go ahead. You're unconscious on the air. Go ahead, please. Yeah. um, It's me? Yes, you're on the air. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm not sure if you've answered this question before, but I always wonder about if you need a specific egg pot, Eggs? Okay. Yeah, for okay. eggs. I was told that you don't, but most of the world that I know has a specific egg pot, a specific fish pot. Is that what you're really supposed to have? Okay, so this is a, this is a very good question. I'll tell you a story. I've said it before. I don't know if everybody heard it. I don't think everybody in my Right, game. that's why I said it could be that you discussed this question before. I no, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the story. I'll head. tell you the story because it's a good story. Years ago, when we had a yeshiva, um, we had a yeshiva from 1980 to 1999. We had a yeshiva, Yeshiva Birkas Ruvain. And we had a Talmud over there who excelled in his Yeridea studies, and he decided to write a Sefer. It was a little book. I don't remember how many pages. I have it in the house. And he 
and he uh, it was all in English, and he spent a lot of time on it. He worked it, researched it, etc. And he, when he finished it, he sent it around for different people to get some humbly call humlots and approbation, something that somebody say nice about his book. So he sent it to a lot of people. I, I, he got he has me writing on something on there, and and he got different about him. And he sent it to Shmuel Kamenetsky. Now, Shmuel Kamenetsky wrote him back. You say here that you should cook three eggs and uh, in a special pot and whatever. He says, he says that's not necessary. And uh, you know, I, I assume Rabbi, you know, you know, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was probably not doing it anymore. Rabbi Shmuel wasn't doing it anymore, and that's the, that's the, the, what they held. So he, he came to me. He was all down. He was he was all down. He said, "Look, I sent it to people, and here's Rabbi Kamenetsky, and he writes back that." Uh, you know, what are you saying this for? People don't do that anymore. <laughs> so, so I said to him, put it in the book. He said, what? I said, put it in the book. So he says, it says, you know, it's like it's sort of attacking him. But he put it in the book. Uh, it, it's the funniest thing in the world. Because I, I said, why put it in the book? Because, first of all, most people are still cooking three eggs in a tin can or so, in some special pot or whatever. And the, and the rest, and, and even if people don't do that anymore, but that they know that, that the thing exists, and that that's the worst thing that Rabbi Kamenetsky can find in your safer, that's pretty good. So he put it into his book, and uh, it, it's a, the book became a very big, big seller. I don't know about because of Rabbi Kamenetsky, but it became a very big seller, and it was printed in a number of languages, including Russian and, and Hebrew, and it, it's, it's in a lot, lot of the world. It's called... Um, uh, living kosher in a non-kosher world, and his name is Eliezer Wolf. Living kosher in a non-kosher world. It was a, it's a great, was a great little book. It explained just how to do things. Maybe we should read a few things uh, on the air someday if in, 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 on J-Root over here. So, okay, thank you very much for the call. So you don't need it anymore. What? No, no I didn't either. say that. I said it's a min. It, it, the minig is still to do it. If you're asking me, in our world, the minig is to, be, to try to cook three eggs. But if you don't cook the three eggs, the problem is what happens if we find a blood spot in one of the eggs. So if there, were, there was nothing else in there but this one egg and some water, so then there would have been a concern about the pot, right? Because the pot may have absorbed from the egg, which technically you're going to call a blood an egg. So that would be the halachic issue, and that's why we cooked the three eggs together. Because three eggs, it means it's twice as much. So therefore, uh, it, it, it reduces the shaila. And then also, uh, when, if you take it out with a spoon, but we, we put cold water in, and then we take it out. So, but let's say you cooked one egg. So now what's the din today? What's the halacha? Ask me the halacha. What is the halacha today if I cooked one egg in a small little pot and there's little water there and there's nothing else in the pot and I took it out and I, and I saw a blood spot on the egg? What's the halacha? And the halacha is that you just take that pot, put it away for 24 hours and do nothing else. Don't kosher it. You just take the pot put it away for 24 hours, and don't kosher it. That's the halacha. Okay? Okay. So, so if you want to continue to do to cook three eggs, or to have some kind of pot, you call a special pot, it doesn't have to be a special pot, but you have to cook three eggs together. That was my question, a specific pot. No, absolutely no reason for that whatsoever. But if you want to do three eggs, so that's a, a very fine minig that people continue. If you want to stop it, you have Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky and I assume Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky on your side. Okay? Uh, and, and fish, does, is it supposed to have its own pot also? You fish only does not fish? have to have its own pot, but you're going to listen to me. I'm going to explain something to you, and it was worth everybody listening today just to hear this one halacha. This, this one halacha will, will be maybe more important than the other things I said today. If you take um, a fish pot that was used within 24 hours for meat, there's nothing wrong in doing that. But then I cannot use it for the leftovers of it for, uh, for milk to me unless I'm a Sephardi. 
For Sephardi, you could do it. But an Ashkenaz cannot use the leftover gefilte fish made in that flesh pot at a dairy shalashudas. An Ashkenaz cannot use gefilte fish made in a flesh pot that was used within 24 hours for meat. He cannot use that at shalashudas. What about if it wasn't used within 24 hours? So there the halach is tricky, and that's what I want to teach you. If that pot was not used for 24 hours for meat, but it's a meat pot, and I cooked gefilte fish in there, again, the pot is not 24 hours for meat. There was no meat in 24 hours. And I cooked up gefilte fish in there, okay? So mm-hmm. then the halacha is that I can't plan to have it for shalashudas. But if it's left over from Friday night and for Shabbos, I still have some left over, I can use it at Shabbos for Milchiks because it's not, it wasn't the Ben Yomo. But I cannot plan to do that. So this is the, what the, my Rebbe said, he said, therefore, if every week you're making enough for three, three meals for Shabbos, then that means you're making it for Shabbos. You're not allowed to, even though it was not used for 24 hours, that flesh kapat. So that's the tricky thing. If it's a flesh pot, you've got to know that, that you, you have a problem using that gefilte fish with a milchik meal. But if it's left over, unintentionally, this little left over, you're allowed to have it with the milchik meal. Just don't do it intentionally. Okay? Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Go ahead. You're on Kasha's on the air. Can we help you? Go ahead, yes. please. Yes. Hello. Yes, go ahead. When sushi first came onto the kosher scene, I, I, I heard I, that... You said sushi? Is that what you said? Yes, yeah, sushi. Okay. I heard that there were problems with seahorses and other problems with the with the seaweed. Right. And now they seem to sell it everywhere with half okay. Is there a problem? Okay, excellent question. And the answer is, it depends which seaweed... First of all, fish itself is a different issue. You know... I have my understanding about the fish, and other people have other understandings. If you're concerned about, insect, about worms inside fish, then you have to use only certain kinds of fish. And if you don't have a concern about worms and fish, and this is a whole discussion of another nature, then you could use any of the fish that's kosher fish. So I don't know where you stand on that, and I don't want to get into that now. But the question you're asking about seaweed, that I can answer. At any given time, there's one or two, I very rarely more than one or two companies that are worth anything in the, in the seaweed area because it's a question of the methodology they use and the effort they put into checking the seaweed when it's being prepared under Hashkacha. So there are a couple of companies at any given time. Right now, there's one company. There's only one company that's being recommended. Now, whether the cashless agency that certifies the sushi that you see in your store uses that seaweed or something else, I can't tell you. But really, what you should do, and I said this to other people and they do it, find out the name of the brand that they're using, and then, if you want, you can email me, but if you, otherwise, uh, you can just run it past whoever you're you know, is very careful in Kashra, so let's say a, a Kashra agency that you respect. And ask Can them, I have your email address? Because, yeah, um, Kashra at AOL.com, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, like the show, Kashra, like the, the magazine Kashra, like our monthly publication, Kashra Monthly, Kashra, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. I, but I, I, I don't want to say in the year names of companies if I can avoid it, but there's only one company at the present time, I don't remember the name of it right now, I Come back to me, hopefully, and if not, I, I could direct you to somebody else who could. I can get that num- the, the name, and that that's the only company that the serious cashless agencies are relying on at the present time. It happens to be certified by the Volova Rav, who is Rabbi Nachum Ephraim Teitelbaum. That's the company that makes the seaweed that that the people who are very serious are using. And the quality, the difference in quality is amazing. And the reason why it's different is because he checks it when it's moist, when it's easier to check. And later on, when the thing dries out, it's very hard to see those seaweeds, the seahorses. Okay? Thank you. You're certainly welcome. 
Okay, no more questions? We have one more? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, have you on cautious on the air? Can we help you? Hi, yes. Thank you for taking my call. Just a quick question. What is the halacha if you bake something karav in a place oven? Are you allowed to eat that, let's say, with coffee and milk, or are you not allowed to? Okay, you see, you see, this is where I, I, my training is different than your training. You know, you, you think of me as always taking the right-wing side here, but my Rebbe taught just the way it is. And my Rebbe taught that there's no such thing as a, a, a kosher oven and a milchig oven and a fleshig oven unless you're going to go ahead and blowtorch it out or, you know, you're going to put it through a, a clean, self-cleaning cycle. Basically, our ovens are not really been koshered. The old ovens where they did who were self-cleaning, they reached 500 or 550, which is not capable of kashering the oven. And yet everybody moved into a house, went into a, a non-Jew was there before. How did you move in? I moved into where the non-Jew was there before. How do you kasher the stove? The answer is you do it to a certain degree, about an hour and a half, whatever it is, and then you kosher the racks properly. That you do in a self-cleaning or with blow torches, the racks actual oven doesn't necessarily become kosher. And an oven can be used for milchiks and fleshiks. That's how my Rebbe taught. You could teach, you could, be, you could you use a milchiks and fleshiks in the same oven. Even Ramosha Feinstein, who was more machmir than my Rebbe was about this. It, it, uh, my, my Rebbe didn't make it up. Rav didn't make it up. He learned from Ramosha Rosen and other people from the previous generation. So, but but if you even if you hold up Moshe Feinstein, he says to wait 24 hours and then cook in the same oven. So you're not kashering it. So really, mm-hmm. the fact that you're talking about fleshic oven, it really isn't. It doesn't matter because unless it's filthy and it's dripping stuff from the top, you're not or there's residue on the bottom that that smokes up or something like that. You don't have a problem. The fact that it's called fleshic oven, you have a problem with the racks. You have a problem with anything touching it, anything being made at the same time in the oven, but the actual oven really doesn't matter. So you don't have to change and do what we do, but you should know that your answer to your question is it's fine. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, there's still time if you want to reach us at 718-683-5858. People asking now the brach of sushi. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what to tell you. I, I hate to say it. I know I'm on a radio show, and, and and people think I know everything. I've never tasted sushi ever. Never ate it. Don't want to eat it. I, I don't want to eat it because of uh, if it would be the most religious sushi man, <laughs> Japanese Jewish Japanese from with a, a big beard. I still wouldn't want to eat it because I don't think it, I, it bothers me eating the the, uh, the raw fish. And uh, so much handling of it, I just it just didn't, uh, it doesn't interest me whatsoever. But the it goes it goes the following way: you have to go after the majority of the uh, contents. So, if for example you have uh, uh, the wrap that they have they, with these with this uh, seaweed is is light. It's not like a, it's not like a, a cone in a an ice cream cone. It's not a it's not a thick thick thing. And what you have inside is the rice and your fish. So I don't know the majority. If you'll tell me that the majority is rice, then the bracha is whatever bracha on rice. There are three different people make different brachos. I make Baremen and Mizonos. Some people make Hadama. And other people might make Shahakol. Some people make two brachos on other foods, two paterit. That's your problem with rice and whatever you decide to do about rice. That would be if rice is the majority. If the fish is the majority, even though it, you know, when I'm talking, I mean, I know it costs, Money for the fish part, not for the rice. But if the fish is the majority, then the bracha would be a shahakal, even though there's rice in there. So because you don't have to start pulling everything apart and and and, and you know we, we put it back together again. It's not a, a game, a puzzle to put things, take things apart and put it together again. So the the, the bracha would be majority would probably be the determining factor. Okay, we have another caller here. Go ahead. You're on cautious on the air. Can we help you? You're yes, on, hello. Yes, you're on the air. Um, first of all, thank you for your show. I learn something new every week. Hi. Um, I have a question about um, Bishal Yisrael, um, specifically about cookies. Um, I had a cookies in my house that had an OU on them, and uh, my brother came and he said, oh, we don't eat that. It's not Bishal Yisrael. So I don't understand how it's possible that something can have a heksher, 
let's say an OU, but not be considered Bishul Yisrael. Okay, so really, there's, there's three questions there, and I'm going to just uh, answer you in one second. Somebody uh, said he wasn't able to hear what I said when I said before about the uh, the, the hashkocha on that uh, on the uh, uh, on the seaweed. It's the Volover Rov. His name is Nachum Ephraim Teitelbaum. Okay, you're asking me uh, a question that really you know, is interesting. You said the word Bishal Yisrael. Uh, a lot well, of times Yisrael, we use the I'm word Pas Yisrael. No, 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 it may be Bishal Yisrael because soft cookies, uh, cookies may be what we call Blila Racha, and it may be considered to be a Bishal issue as opposed to a Pas issue. What, part, what the point is like this, Bishal Yisrael, or let's say the other way around, Bishal Akum, non-Jewish cooking, is forbidden. There's no OU on a non-Jewish cooking, I can tell you that. There's no OU, OK, Kuf, K, Star, K, no one, no one goes in non-Jewish cooking, that's impossible. On Pas Akum, non-Jewish baking, there is a leniency in Halacha, because, first of all, it really wasn't called Pas Akum, because Pas Palter. Pas Akum would be if you go to a next door neighbor and he baked some bread and he gave it to you, but but if you uh, but if you go to a, a bakery and it's a non-Jewish bakery with the bags of bread that you buy in the supermarket, that's Pas Palter, and in Pas Palter there are leniencies. That wasn't a regular regular halacha. It's a unique halacha. Toisvus explains that it was not in this pashate that that halacha didn't get accepted by the masses. And if it didn't get accepted by the masses, then it imploded. And then it ceases to exist on a certain level because the Gezerish Yev Shalomodbo. So the, it, it has to be uh, looked at in a different way. It's continued in certain communities, and some people are more careful about it and some are less careful. In a case so, of where sorry, something... interrupt you? So then why would he eat, let's say, Cheerios, but he won't eat the cookies? Well, Cheerios I, just, I find is, it so confusing. Cheerios are really worse, but that's that, I'm not going to go into Cheerios <laughs> is worse because Cheerios is, according to many people, Cheerios would be called Bishol Akum. The reason why the OU gives a shkach on Cheerios is because they they consider that the, the the grain and the food, the way it's prepared, is not going to be served at an important person's. Meals, it's something that what do you call a grub a Michael, something that's not uh, for fancy fancy affairs. So that that's the reason the OU does that hashkacha. But uh, even in the OU, there's a split on it as far as the Cheerios goes. So Cheerios is is worse than anything you've just mentioned. Okay, but as far as the <laughs> as far as the uh, 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 let's say a cake or a bread or whatever, it's mostly the cookies are because the cookies might also fall into the same category of bishul. But if it's, if it's a question of the OU's position is that, um, you know, if, it, if there's a source in halacha that's legitimate, we're going to pro- supply it to the masses. I heard Rabbi Belsky say if there's a community in New York that wants Cholostam products, we're going to give Cholostam from the OU on it. So even though he's dedicated to Chal Yisrael on a personal level, and even though he'd love to promote Chal Yisrael, but if there are people in Brooklyn who want Chal of Stam, and they come to the OU, and they say they want to make the store and produce something, and people are going to buy it, they will service it, because it's within the halacha according to the way they understand it. But on a personal level, I mean, Rabbi Belsky would never drink that Chal, eat Chal right. Stam. And, and, uh, the, but but then they do incorporate it within the OU. So the OU incorporates within the, 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 general, the, the larger area of kosher, but it doesn't necessarily decide for you what you're supposed to do. So therefore, you can be frumer than the OU because you, you were trained to the Hall of Israel. You are trained maybe to use Yashan. You are trained maybe to be careful about this, that, or the other thing. It doesn't mean the OU is wrong. and It doesn't mean you're putting them down. It doesn't mean you're being too frum. It means that this is the training that you have and the understanding that you have. And the OU is trying to be more inclusive. In Israel, they have the Rabbanut. The Rabbanut has a very wide range of things they accept in it. And yet they create a mahadran hashkacha, which is limiting, because there are people who want strict kosher. But there are people who don't want strict kosher, and, and if you're going to limit it, it's going to lose a lot of businesses, that, and then they're not going to be kosher. 
and if other people, then people will not be kosher. So to, to get the mass of people involved, they give it the, bro- the broadest strokes to include the most folks. Okay? Very interesting. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Take good care. Okay. Let me just sum up a couple of things. I don't know. Uh, I see a lot of things that are me in text. I can't have the time to answer them. There's another caller? Okay. Go ahead, John. You're on cautious on the air. Can we help you? Hello? You're on the air. Yeah, I would like to ask, if somebody bakes, let's say, fish in a pecula, an aluminum pan covered, then he bakes chicken also covered in the same oven. The question is, the fish can be used afterwards with milk or not? I tell you, I didn't hear you well. If you'll talk a little louder or more clearly, just a little bit more, I didn't catch it. Uh, if somebody bakes fish in aluminum, in aluminum beckler, you right. know, that 9 by 13 right. covered, the filter fish, let's say, and then he bakes in the same oven chicken also covered, the question is the fish was getting baked, if you're allowed to use it in a milk you can eat there or it gets fleshy for one time or not. I, you know, I didn't understand you. I'll tell you, I heard the words now, because you're saying he cooked the fish first and took it out? Then no, he, he left it. Okay, the he's got the fishes in there, and the, it, then there's no problem if they're both covered. There is no issue. But covered is a good covering. There's a covering we do. We take the, we crimp it around the, uh, to put a little bit of aluminum foil around. We crimp it down. That would be a covering, or a pot that's covered. If you just put a little piece loose there, and the smoke is coming up on the sides, the the, the vapors are coming no, on the sides. If you put a cover on, if you put a cover on, there will no be no problem. The halacha says even if it was treif and kosher at the same time in the same oven, if they're both covered, it's kosher. Thank you very much. You're certainly welcome. Okay, we only have a couple more minutes. Let me just review a couple of things that we said today and uh, somebody back. Number one, if you'd like to take advantage of our special offer, which is one year of Kashrus magazine, that's five issues of the magazine, includes the kosher travel guide to 307 cities. It includes the kosher supervision guide, which is a 200-page book, and now the new kosher addendum to the kosher supervision guide. Altogether, 1,351 hashkachas worldwide. That's the deal, a regular kosher's magazine subscription, $25. But I'm going to give you free a $23 book that's, uh, on the Wings of a Child's Prayer, 51 stories, 200-page book from the p- pages of Cautious Magazine over the last 35 years. It's a fantastic book. Give it away, read it, read it, and then give it away, whatever you'd like. Call us, 718-336-8544. You can call right now, leave a message, 718-336-8544. Or you can email us and you can text us in the same line at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. You can also let us know suggestions of topics you want us to take on the radio or guests that you'd like us to have. Uh, I'd like you to know that uh, September 7th we have uh, Rabbi Reit, um I'm sorry, Wright, uh, R-E-I-T, Avram Wright, has been on the show before. He's going to be talking about Shofar and the Tekios, a very, very important show, and I think a lot of people will get a lot of that out of that one. And uh, I, I'd like to uh, let you know that I'm officially going to give free subscriptions to everybody who became kosher this year. And our definition of kosher is that you koshered your home or you, uh, if you're living with other people, you can't, you don't have a home of your own, then you decided to be kosher completely this year, starting from September. And anybody who's uh, appropriate for that, all they have to do is have a Rav contact us. Uh, you can tell Rabunim and Rav, you are a Rav, anybody, or if you do koshering for anybody, anybody within September. 2015 to 2 September 2016, that's Rosh Hashanah, that's Rosh Hashanah. Anybody who in the year 5776, uh, seven, anyone who becomes kosher, actually changes their life, one-year subscription to Kasha's Magazine. We're shooting to get 1,000 subscribers 
who are becoming kosher. That's our goal. Help us achieve that goal. And if you'd like to contribute, I have some people who are contributing already. Uh, all we're taking is $18 for the year. And if you can help it offset the expenses of us, we're going to have because we're looking at something that's going to cost about $18,000. So if you want to help us, also call us at 718-336-8544. You can a school of for anything you can imagine because you're helping people who are beginning their life as kosher Jews and keeping our mitzvahs in all areas. Thank you very much and have a wonderful week.